There are a lot of people who lie and get away with it. This week on Inside Jobs' 20th episode, Brian, Gene, Lee, and a special guest investigate the streetcar conspiracy. The U.S. has one of the most extensive car cultures in the world, with myriad pop culture representations of the car as the ultimate manifestation of freedom. But this obsession comes at a cost of pollution, accidents, and traffic jams. Did a shadowy conspiracy purchase public transit companies only to drive them out of business so Americans would be forced to buy cars? Or were broader sociological and capitalist forces to blame for the decline of the streetcar? Joining me to discuss the General Motors streetcar conspiracy are civilian investigator Eugene Ford O'Neill. Hello and good evening. Conspiracy expert Lee Golden. Pardon me, gentlemen. Do you have any gray poupon to put on this mystery? And the personification of obeisance to autocratic power, Aurora Nibley. This is the sound of my voice. I'm historian Brian Lane. Welcome to Inside Jobs. All right, everybody, you might have heard a, uh, a, a an additional voice here on our podcast. That is because we have a guest. Hi, everybody. <laughs> That's me. This is, a, this is Aurora Nibley. Now, Aurora, you are the host of the Weekly Dictator podcast, possibly the worst podcast in the history of the media, <laughs> it's correct? It's a pretty terrible podcast. What would you no, say there, is the you worst? You guys had a really, one really good episode. Oh, yeah, there was that one really good one. Which one was that? That was the one where we had the Star Trek guy on, right? Nope, not at all. <laughs> Keep trying. Try again. Probably one of our episodes about Oprah. Why do you have multiple episodes about Oprah? Because if you're, uh, ostensibly a dictator podcast. <laughs> number one, because Oprah Winfrey is a dictator. Uh, number two, because the first episode was so popular, we had to do a second one. I mean, there was so much to unpack. Like, the whole first episode, we didn't even mention Gail or Stedman. Well, uh, can you tell us what it's like to have a popular episode? <laughs> I think you guys actually, I don't know if you have more listeners than we do. I bet you do, because you have way more ratings and reviews on iTunes than we do. That's because we demand it constantly. Yeah, when my family listened to the show, I th we had a lot of listeners. And then Brian repelled them all. <laughs> I, I, I just mentioned a peculiar part of your anatomy over 100 times in less than an hour, and somehow that, that annoyed them. Yeah, that was one time too many. I think that the thing about our show is that we have a lot of talk about just penises and poo-poo, and that's why I'm really glad that we have a female voice on the show, so we can get the female perspective on penises and poo-poo. Um, so we're really happy to have you, Aurora. My mother's review of my podcast is, uh, you know, it's nice to hear you laugh. I just wish you wouldn't say so many bad words. <laughs> well, Aurora, uh, because people are bound to turn this episode off when it gets too offensive, why don't you tell them at the top of the show how they can find out uh, where yours is? Um, you can find us on iTunes. It's Weekly Dictator, um, spelled exactly how it sounds. Uh, you can also just go to weeklydictator.com where I post weekly essays, mostly biographical essays about dictators from history. That's pretty good. And what what is the focus of the show for, for people who haven't For people who can't it, like... infer it from the title. Um, <laughs> it's, it's honestly 
we make dictators our focal point, but more of it is kind of the same thing that you guys do, which is how cool it is to learn about these things from history that you've probably heard mentioned, but you probably don't actually know anything about. Nah, I know about it. So, <laughs> you know, I, I go out and I'm like, huh, what did Pol Pot do? I've heard he's a bad dude, but I don't actually know anything about him. And then I go do all the research and write something with jokes so that you don't have to waste a week of your life. Yeah, that sounds a lot like my job on this show. So, um, question. Who would win in a fight, uh, Hitler or Lex Luthor? And they both have robot suits. Oh, well, Lex Luthor could afford a better robot suit, I think. Right. Yeah, because he's not wasting all of his money on munitions and uh, genocide. Exactly. Yeah, wasting your money on munitions during a fight is a really bad way to spend your money. <laughs> well, is Hitler using 1940 technology while Lex Luthor gets current technology? Yeah, I, I'm going to lean toward Luthor. Well, because Luthor is putting all of his energy towards a much more formidable enemy. I mean, Hitler never mm-hmm. tried also, to Also, Superman and Hitler would work. Superman and Hitler would be working together. <laughs> no, 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 no. They wouldn't be working together. No, what I'm thinking is, because Lex Luthor has spent so you're much thinking, time... You're thinking of a hot three-way, right? <laughs> yes, there you go. No, he spent all this time trying to kill someone at the level of a Superman, uh, whereas... Yeah, but Hitler so did Hitler. His name was FDR. ...killing women and children. <laughs> oh, yeah, and he did a great job there. <laughs> Little known what? fact, just like FDR, Superman was confined to a wheelchair during most of his career. Yeah. Well, Hitler v. FDR was basically a war of attrition. Polio was FDR's kryptonite. Superman always had to have his son standing next to him whenever he was photographed standing. So. Sure. Yeah. His son, Crypto the dog. <laughs> oh. All right, Brian, what the hell are we talking about this week? Streetcars? Roger Rabbit? Something like that? Yes. Uh, we're talking about this conspiracy behind streetcar I just want to point out we did not settle who would win. Hitler or Lex Luthor? I, I, I think well, it's Lex never, Luthor. Yeah, I, I trust Rora's opinion. Lex Luthor. Are we talking about Gene Hackman, Lex Luthor, or Kevin Spacey? Or Lex are we Luther? talking about recently announced Brian Cranston, Lex Luthor? Uh oh. What? Yeah, he's going to be the next Lex Luthor. Oh man, that's pretty good. Mm. He's like your best friend, huh, Gene? Pretty much. <laughs> Can you just tell that story about when you were at the barbecue with him talking about a dog? God, I don't remember what the context was, but we were all just like he, sta- we were. He had a dog, and uh, then like a, a, another neighbor of ours goes. Hold on, uh, just just to confirm uh, for people who don't know, uh, Brian Cranston used to live next door. Oh, to Gene, you know, he used so. to live across the street. Uh, okay, yeah. Before pre pre Malcolm pre Malcolm in the middle, and then a little during Malcolm in the middle. Before he moved to a much nicer, bigger house, he was our neighbor, <laughs> and uh, we were at a backyard barbecue of his. And I remember a neighbor's like petting his dog, and he goes like, "Oh, dogs like it when you scratch them behind the ears." And I said, "Yeah, dogs also like it when you make sweet, sweet love to them." <laughs> and he started laughing and goes, "Yeah, but you gotta go really slow." <laughs> 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 Man, Brian Cranston, class act. Yeah. 
All right, so today we were talking about, honestly, uh, Lee and I were talking discussing this before we started recording the show, which was late because Gene was shitting, uh, and it's sort of this conspiracy that isn't, isn't like, super well-known. It isn't, it isn't one of the big hit, heavy hitters, like a JFK or anything like that, but it is, uh, was adapted, in, in a way, into the film Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It was almost we're a ta- Chinatown film. And if you slow down the laser disc of the movie really slowly, you can see a trolley car naked. <laughs> Brian, it's only did you on not the laser know that, disc, that this was originally a, this is supposed to be the plot to the third Chinatown movie? Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, and then they just you mean used after it for the, Roger you mean, mean you mean the two Jakes after it was a disastrous flop, uh, they realized they couldn't make a third one, so they just adapted it for Roger Rabbit. Mm, approximately. Okay, I'll believe that. <laughs> Knowing no other facts about it, um, man. You know wait. what the you know what the best part of Chinatown is is that scene where he's pretending to get his grandfather into a retirement home, and uh, he goes up to the counter and he goes, uh, "Yeah, I just want to know, does your establishment accept people of the Jewish persuasion?" And they say, "I'm sorry, sir." And he goes, "Good. Neither does my father. Yeah, neither does dad." <laughs> Aurora, by the way, I'm Jewish, so um, I, I can't yeah, yeah. that joke. <laughs> that gives us a broad that gives us a broad pass in in our discussions. Uh, no, but essentially, we're talking about the plot of Roger Rabbit, which uh, if you if you've never seen it, uh, you're probably a, a pinko commie. What the fuck are um, you doing? What Not do you, you, Brian. People who haven't seen Roger Rabbit. Oh yeah. Oh, they're they're living horrible lives. Um, but no, uh, the, uh, the Judge Doom character is buying up the public transportation serv- service in LA, the red car, with the intention of tearing out the, uh, the trolley tracks and, Im- and putting in a freeway. And it's, it's, you know, considered a joke in the movie, which is set in 1947, but it is in a little way, uh, based in what actually seemed to have happened in cities all over the United States from the twenties through up through, uh, the, the late forties. Um, and sort of, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show that America has this big car culture, but, uh, the ideology seemingly behind this conspiracy theory and people who pr- uh, promote it is that that car culture was really uh, engendered by the car companies buying up public transportation sy- systems all over the country and then running them out of business so that they can make these huge freeways all across the country and get more drivers behind the wheels of cars. So is it real? Let's get into the case. That was, that was, you're supposed to cheer. Also, on that was one. it a conspiracy Yay. just to desegregate Toontown? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's, there's specifically, I remember in Toontown, there's that, um, there's that, uh, that black, um, uh, mythological creature. What are they called? With uh, the Daffy horse? Duck. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, I'm not well, talking no, about was... black cartoons and white cartoons. I'm talking about tunes oh. and then real people. They were trying to they were trying to uh, gentrify Toontown. Yeah, I as part of my research for this uh, this program, I did. Lee spend smoked four a ton of pot and then watched Roger Rabbit. Yeah, there was <laughs> yeah. there was real ill feeling towards the tunes that didn't really seem very well explained. Yeah, well, oh no, they explained it really well. Eddie Valiant's brother was killed by a tune. 
Mm-hmm. He was the only one who hated them in the movie. No. Yeah, the... There was... Because there was serious segregation. I watched this movie less than a month ago. Um, I watched it less than an hour <laughs> ago. Okay. I just... I feel like... Oh, Jesus, Brian. There was... There was such a... Like... It, it really felt like a real segregation. There, You know, and... There were establishments that were like, tunes are not welcome here. And why would... Um, yeah, tunes only Lloyd, washrooms. Yeah, why would Christopher Lloyd go to so much trouble to hide the fact that he was a tune um, if there was nothing shameful about it? Also notice he was a yeah. skinhead. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I, and um, one other thing is that the um, 1947 Brooklyn Dodgers, um, all of the uh, white men on the team, they all signed a petition and gave it to owner Branch Rickey saying that they didn't want to play uh, with Charlie Brown on the, the team. <laughs> not because he was yeah, a tune, just because Charlie he was Brown, a shitty guy, baseball player. Charlie Brown, just not oh, yeah. catch a break. <laughs> um, well, so... To essentially uh, bring us up to date into the 20s, uh, the car was invented... Wait, that's up to date for you, Brian? (laughs) No time has elapsed for for Brian since the 1920s. That's why he still dresses like that. Uh, Like a flapper. (laughs) (laughs) I'm recording this from the the wing of a biplane while I do the Charleston. (laughs) Um, No, the car was invented in 1880s, started to become popular... Ford uh, sued a guy to get the patent taken care of so that he could start producing cars. And then he really started uh, the, the first boon in American manufacturing when he developed the, uh, the, um, Automobile. the, Automobile. Automobile. the pat boon. The assembly line is what you're yeah, the, probably trying the Ford, to think of. I mean, he had the Model T. When he assembled the, the Ford horse. Um, but the thing that really made the, the Model T such a huge deal was the assembly line and the fact that he could make one car so quickly, he could make so many cars so fast, he could sell them cheaply, he could sell them to more people. Um, and that was yeah. what really And it wasn't powered by human feet. Yeah, not just... <laughs> The, the car industry. We've moved but... a lot. We've we've moved a lot in uh, technolo- technological advances since the Stone Age. Well, the nice thing about the Flintstones cars was that they were all they all passed their smog checks with no problems at all. No issues. <laughs> yeah. Well, that yeah, that's one of the, that's one of the problems we're going to get into. Yeah. But, uh, so Ford uh, essentially invented the assembly line as we think of it today, and this was a really big thing for making cars because, as Roar said, he was allowed to make them faster and cheaper, but also he was able to. Um, Workers in the factories were only allowed to be in certain places where they would concentrate on whatever part of the car that they were building. So then there was increased safety record. And because he was able to make them so fast and cheap and then get away with paying his workers a fairly low wage, uh, it would take about four months for uh, a Ford worker to be able to afford a car. And uh, other car companies, there were actually hundreds of car companies during this period of time, but they slowly began to melt away as those that couldn't adapt to the assembly line uh, started to go bankrupt, and those that could uh, started to buy up the works of the other car companies. So uh, in the 20s, you have this guy, Alfred P. Sloan, who is the head of General Motors, and that's sort of the focus of what we're going to talk about today because the General Motors uh, car company is one of the, you know, biggest biggest uh, uh, 
antagonists in the conspiracy of the streetcar scandal. And Sloan is responsible for doing a lot of things with cars, like developing the idea of makes and and changing cars uh, every year and, um, you know, allowing people to get excited about the idea of replacing their cars. And the limited uh, edition gold plated DeLorean was his idea. Yeah, and that sold like gangbusters. So mm-hmm. yeah, was, he was he was pretty smart. But but he's also well known for these kind of penny pinching uh, activities. This uh, this great amount of avarice and this kind of iron fistedness by which he ruled the uh, General Motors company, and uh, and that'll come into play uh, a little bit later. But in the 1920s. Uh, as much as Ford and Sloan and the other car companies, Oldsmobile, of course, uh, as much as these cars companies had done, only one in ten Americans owned a car. Uh, so essentially, as uh, this and, guy and Bradford they were always Snell, your asshole neighbor. <laughs> yeah, it corresponded exactly with the uh, the stats on how many people own monocles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And could afford a driver. Yeah, the guy who came up with the monocle and car store made a killing. <laughs> oh, that's Sloan. That's the guy that we're talking about. Oh. Um, so, uh, so essentially, cars. There was a huge market of Americans who could buy cars uh, that simply weren't buying them, and one of the reasons that people suggest uh, that they no one was quite sure was... what a car was. Yes, yeah, so still so, so few people owned them that most Americans had never seen a car. They only knew about yeah. Zeppelins. Yeah. They were known as horseless horses at that point in history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> horseless horses. Oh, I love it. Why, that's just uh, not anything. Uh, <laughs> well, horseless horse, you see. Salesman would just indicate empty space and go, see, it's the new horseless horse. I'll buy twenty, five hundred dollars a pop. Um No, uh one of the reasons that they that they think that more Americans weren't buying cars is because uh public transportation was so available to uh people in most big cities and, and it didn't even have to be a really huge city like New York or Los Angeles or Chicago. Some smaller cities of like ten to fifteen thousand people had uh, public transportation systems. And during this time, it was the, the, the trolley car, the street car, um, which, uh, you know, Lee, you live near San Francisco. Maybe you can speak to what a trolley car is. Sure. Um, a trolley is uh, kind of a <clears throat> sort of open-aired car, usually. Like, there's not a lot of walls on it. You kind of just hang on it. You can sort of hang out the side of it, and it goes on a track down the middle of the street, and uh, no one uses them except for uh, tourists who want to take pictures. Everybody knows <laughs> well, what it's... a trolley car is. We all saw the rock. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man, I just fixed my trolley. Come on, Sean Connery. It's also the method of conveyance that one might meet a friend in St. Louis. <laughs> That was, that was only for Brian Gene. Make a musical I, reference no, like I didn't that. even get that reference. Oh, really? Well, I have a sister clang, and a mom. Clang, I know clang. what meet me in St. Louis is. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly clang, yeah. Clang, clang went the trolley. Clang, 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 and then ding, ding, ding goes the bell. I literally I watched mm-hmm. a fucking YouTube video of that fucking song in preparation for this episode. Such was my delight at remembering it. And Jan Hook uh, sings it in, on Saturday Night Live in the early 90s. Who? Dan yep. Hooks. Look she it up. It's funny. 
I don't think so. Uh, I don't think she died. Troy McClure? No, you're thinking of Phil Hartman, Gene. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so streetcars were prevalent across the United States, uh, certainly in uh, in cities like New York and L.A. And L.A. is sort of going to be the focus of what we talk about because it's it's the biggest, uh, kind of the most well known in uh, in the way that this conspiracy goes. Um, and there was this uh, this family in. Uh, Minnesota called the Fitzgeralds who owned a bus company and uh, buses were known for being uh, less efficient than trolley cars because yeah, they would carry around like the Partridge family or touring hair metal bands but they were not really used for public transportation at that point right uh, <laughs> you could you could get you could pile into one of these buses and then take a bunch of acid and follow around the dead but uh, it wasn't seen as a very efficient me- method of conveyance. Plus, if you slowed them down below 60 miles an hour, they'd all explode. Yeah. That was a big problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah <and> it was. <laughs> it was, that was the most popular method of, uh, of terrorism in the early 20s. Why Just slowing down a bus. Ca- why aren't buses catching on? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe America doesn't uh, like to just go in through that door. Maybe they don't like how it explodes once it tips below 50 yeah. miles They are hour. catching on. No, Fire. no, because poli- police officers were shooting a lot of hostages to prevent the terrorists from oh, getting away. Oh, that was the it. problem, was those outside-of-the-box police officers who shoot the hostage. <laughs> yes, America's love affair with the streetcar then turned to America's love affair with the cruise liner, uh, which, <laughs> which was not as successful. Man, America, let's try to be a little more monogamous, huh? You can't just go from love affair to love yeah. affair with different metro transit units. Cruise uh, liners so, yes, are the... very ineffective as public transit. I mean, I tried to take a cruise liner from Burbank to Pasadena, and it did not get very far. That's yeah. a boat, right? Was... Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh... <laughs> Those land boats never caught on either. <laughs> what, one thing about that is like fucking. Okay, it's, it's a called horseless speed. horse boat. The name of the movie. <laughs> the name of the movie is Speed Two, and it's set on a cruise, like the slowest a, like vehicle, a, yeah, the slowest vehicle on earth. After like. Uh, after after like a rickshaw, it's a cruise ship. <laughs> yeah, they were getting the, like... the speed three was going to take place on a barge. <laughs> it was going to be a tugboat. <laughs> um, it was going to be a giant tortoise. Speed uh, four is a radio flyer wagon. Oh wow! Speed five standing still. <laughs> um, so yes, the Fitzgerald brothers owned a bus company in. Uh, in Minnesota, and this is called National City Lines. And when it first started out, they were just doing things like busing minors uh, and then busing minors with an O. Uh, and, and and just... Wah. I know, that was fucking terrible. Uh, no, they were, just, they were just basically a, a local bus company. And yet within a couple years, the, uh, the National City Lines bus company was operating all over the country. But and... how did they do that, Brian? <laughs> Tell us uh... more. Next on Inside Jobs, we talk about how this bus company became very popular. Um, that is a really mean impersonation of me. 
Shit. <laughs> I'm sorry, Lee. Brian, in, in honor of the uh, automobile, are you doing this whole podcast talking like the Micro Machines guy? <laughs> Man, I don't. I think I would pass out because I don't have the AC going and I am already dying in here. Ugh. <laughs> This aluminum foil on the window trick is not working. Wow, so out you as well turned as I off hoped. your air conditioning for the greater good of the podcast. I do it every week, or every yes, every week as we record every That's weekend. Very noble of you. Yeah, yeah. Aurora, I'm not, Aurora I'm, would not would not sacrifice her comfort for the greater good. But you know what? I think it wasn't. I think it wasn't my air conditioning. I think my cell phone was too close to my computer, so I moved it to the other side of the room. So I hope that helped. Nope, not at all. All right. <laughs> it was worth a shot. <laughs> Brian, do you want to You're explain like, what oh. a cell phone is? <laughs> For those of us who don't know. Well, we're right, brought up so to 19... the 1920s. You should be with yeah. us. <laughs> January 1933, Hitler is named Chancellor. <laughs> of the Ford That's... Motor Company. Like honestly, every every story I could tell just starts that with that sentence. Oh so man, once I was um, I was in a Sorry. store and uh, I do this annoying thing sometimes where um, when the total speak? for yes, well for when the total for my purchases comes up to a date where I know a thing, like if it's like fourteen ninety two, I'll be like the You'll day say we're going to sail the ocean blue. <laughs> um, 1933 uh, popped up, and um, I wanted to say, "Oh, Hitler taking power," but I was like, uh, "That that would be really intense to say to the guy at Safeway." So I was like, "Oh, that's the year King Kong came out." And then the guy next to me, this like crotchety old man, was like, "It was also the year Hitler came to power." <laughs> uh, and so from that you... day on, I hired that man to just follow me around and give out Nazi facts whenever I said something nice. <laughs> I finally found a job. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm so destitute. Um, uh, Yes, but so this bus company started uh, started to have all this money and started appearing in different towns. And it was essentially because a General Motors holding company had invested heavily in it, as well as supplying some of their uh, executive directorship. talent to uh, National City Lines and the Fitzgeralds. However, on the surface, uh, it appeared as though this was just a family business that had, you know, proven successful and it started to input buses into major cities. And, you know, once they started to move into these cities, they started investing in the streetcar companies. Is the Fitzgerald family you're talking about? That's not uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald family, is it? Because he's from Minnesota. Uh, I honestly have no idea. I'm going to say yes. Let's just say yeah, so it sounds like we did our research. Oh, Jesus. Um, no, but, uh, but, uh, but, but, so they started to buy street, streetcar companies. And this is where the conspiracy kind of starts to fall through. Because it turns out that a lot of the streetcar companies were already in, you know, uh, receiverships or insolvency or were having money troubles even in the late 20s and the early 30s. Because it turns out it's very expensive to run a streetcar company, uh, if you're a private company. And they used $100 bills as fuel. Yeah, the Brian, weren't a lot of these streetcar companies also um, running their own electric plants to power the cars themselves? Uh, it's actually the reverse. A lot of electric companies were running their own streetcar companies to which they would sell 
or provide cheap uh, electricity. And it would okay. take so one entire electric thing. company to power a streetcar. Right. Uh, one Jesus, Brian, that would be like if I said, oh, uh, there was a guy in that car, and you said, no, that guy was in that car. Okay? Give me a little more <laughs> fucking credit. I know what I'm talking about. No, I thought you said that the streetcar companies owned the electric companies. Well, the electric companies own streetcar companies, so if it's a streetcar so, company that owns an electric company, or an electric company owns a streetcar company, it doesn't matter. It's a company that owns both things. I'm very confused. But basically what happened is after the Depression... I don't think that or- works. What? I don't think that works. That if Okay, so an electric company that owns a streetcar company, um, the yeah. electric company is the parent company. Just like... Yeah, that's this is exactly what I'm saying. For example, like... Uh, since we're talking about General side, Motors, please. General Motors used to own NBC Universal. NBC Universal didn't own General Electric or General Motors, and so like, but in a way, NBC Universal, mm, not really, no. Um, Shit, it's a no. There's there's a hierarchy in the way that business works. Yeah, it's a you guys don't know anything so about business. You- so All right, so why just, don't Brian and Aurora go start a, a podcast about facts, and Gene and I will start a podcast <laughs> about video games and drinking that people will actually listen to? Yeah, that things that are oh. interesting. Brian, <laughs> we you better guys not talk about that. Aurora, hierarchies. It'll work. Uh, Aurora, after- you're absolutely right. Brian, you are dead fucking wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially, what happened is that uh, after the depression, they were looking for. for to pass laws in order to prevent that from uh, the the st- kind of stock market crash that happened in twenty nine from ever happening again, and, when they and so they the passed stock a- market isn't allowed to crash law. <laughs> yes, which they <laughs> which, which they re- out incredibly, <laughs> which they repealed in nineteen eighty two, leading to our problems today. Um, but uh, but uh, no, what, what, one of the laws that they passed was that regular. Uh, Utilities and regulated industries were not allowed to own companies in unregulated industries. And because uh, electricity was regulated, uh, they were no longer allowed to own streetcar companies because the streetcar industry was unregulated. This is how much research I did for this show. It wasn't just, it wasn't just watching Roger Rabbit. No, they covered all that in Roger Rabbit. (laughs) (laughs) That baby, that like uh, adult baby explains all this. Yeah, he's got a he's got a fifty year old lust yeah. <laughs> in a four year old streetcar company. It's a closed um, shop. It's a closed shop. Can't. I don't get. I don't want. What? Okay, so if a regulated industry can't run unregulated business, it's the same thing as uh, a company that works under union rules can't hire non union labor. It's the same law. Yeah. Exactly. So. Anyway, my joke fell on deaf ears, but that's okay. Oh, I thought yeah, you were sorry, just quoting Roger Rabbit. No, I was making up a <laughs> fake quote, but I have a girl voice, so it doesn't work as well. Oh. Yeah, girls can't quote things. Yeah, girls can't really imitate weird boy voices. Yeah, that is... Sure they can! <laughs> <laughs> Brian, was that you pretending to be a girl? Yes, <laughs> pretending to be a boy. All right, let's get this uh, show they, back they, on the rails. They, huh? 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 Oh, so we can drive it towards some conclusions. I that is going to be the there. entirety of the program. Just that one that joke horse and then joke? the credits. <laughs> oh, okay. Shit. Horseless horse. That was amazing. Uh... Somehow it's not as funny when you say it, Brian. 
Yeah. So the national, so national city lines started buying up the streetcar companies because they were already suffering, uh, as I said, insolvency, and many of them were in receivership. Many of them went up for auction, and what they would do is they would buy the streetcar company and immediately start cutting down on the amount of rail that was available, the staff, and uh, the number of trolley cars that would uh, that would service an area. So essentially, if you were uh, at a stop where maybe a streetcar would come by every 10 minutes, it started to come by every 12 minutes or 14 minutes. Sometimes it would go as long as half an hour. Uh, or they would have so a streetcar pe- that just never stopped, and now it's just a bunch of skeletons. <laughs> it's still running today right through your neighborhood, yeah. right, right, Gene? Yep, yep exactly. Right through Toontown. But yes, so people started to get annoyed with this. And the conspiracy theory is that they did this intentionally. um, The the National City Lines Company did this intentionally in order to uh, inspire more people to go out and simply buy a car. Because a car was more convenient. You were able to... uh, you know, drive it whenever you wanted, and you could listen to your own sweet tunes while you're in there. Yeah, and uh, let me tell Watch you what a DVD. the nineteen <laughs> the 1930s are when LMFAO released their classic tracks. Yeah, so but a lot of people started getting in accidents because they were uh, sending telegraphs while driving their Model Ts. <laughs> well, I feel like this is especially plausible in light of what happened with all the payphones. What happened oh, you mean the, the cell, cell phone Yeah. Stuff? Well, remember back in, like, 15 years ago when people first started getting cell phones and there were still pay phones everywhere, so you kind of had an option? Or, like, if your parents wouldn't buy you a cell phone, you could call home using a pay phone? They would just buy you a pay phone. And then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, like, within less than five years, all the pay phones completely disappeared. They were all bought by Verizon. There, are, I still, I uh, there's still uh, payphones in New York. Oh, not in there's LA. Still payphones in New York, the culture center of the world. Gene, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you were a kid, when you needed to make a phone call, you just went over to Brian Cranston's house, right? Yeah, he, he had one of those. Your, your house didn't have a phone. Yeah. Plus, we ate out of his garbage. <laughs> well, that's because your family has no money. Yeah. But also, he has a really good garbage. Wait, so uh, essentially, your family lived across the street from Brian Cranston in the hobo slum. <laughs> yeah. That's right where the neighborhood cut. We were basically in the Toontown part of town. <laughs> you were in a, a Hooverville. Yeah, but it only cost a nickel to ride of... the red car. Thank you, Aurora, for trying to get us back on track. Oh, uh, yeah. you know, I got nothing else. Shit. I got too much is what I'm realizing. I've got uh, just the right amount, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that's because you're a baby bear. <laughs> and what do you mean too much, Brian? Too much spare time and unhealthy obsessions with dictators? Yeah, it's a real problem. I literally didn't do anything today. Yeah, well, like, that's uh, the thing is, like, we actually probably talk about dictators more on this show than you guys do on Weekly Dictator because uh, Brian wants to talk about facts, whereas on Weekly Dictator, you guys want to actually make some jokes. Yeah, but I'm not doing that today, so I don't I don't understand. Oh, okay. Like, well, we should we should explain to the audience that it's not your fault. You are uh, sick and a girl. Yeah. yeah. Girls I mean, aren't funny or healthy. That's a one-two <laughs> punch that I just can't overcome. Yeah. 
So the companies started buying uh, buying the streetcars and people started buying cars. They started to advertise cars more and more. And then there's this thing. Um, there's this guy who came along later who really researched this in the 70s named Brad. <laughs> oh, fuck. What's his Brad last name? Fox. <laughs> no, his I name have is his article is... over on Bra- article Bradford on. Snell. What a fucking wow. name, Brad Snell. That's such a bad guy corporation, or like, yeah, that's, bad corporate uh, guy name. Why don't you meet people named Snell anymore? Yeah. Well, I, what is the bad guy in Billy Madison? Snell. That guy, that actor, oh. could probably play a character Bradley, named Bradford Bradley Snell, Whitford. and his name is Bradley. Yeah, Whitford. he could. <laughs> oh, his name is Bradford Snell. It's the same guy. Did you see that guy's balls? They were weird. Um, but yeah, I read this this dude uh, Snell's article, and it was interesting. He was talking about um, like FBI files where it said that GM was giving cars to um, administrators in cities um, where only the local government could decide to to sell up the uh, the the railway car companies and uh, all kinds of stuff. Very very. Um, very incisive stuff. So um, he's kind of the leading conspiracy theory expert in this this case. But yeah, he's testified before the Senate and published a lot of uh, a lot of documents uh, concerning this. He spent like almost twenty years researching the case, uh, yeah. spending a bunch of time in like the Library of Congress. Um, but and it's oh, tough because like you know this the NCL was um, declared a corporation in Delaware, and as as some of you may know, a Delaware corporation. Um, is a company where you can't really know who the stockholders or executives are. Um, and that's why a lot of corporations, um, including the one I work for actually, uh, start up as uh, Delaware corporations because it's just a very favorable state for uh, being uh, being a corporation. So there's his point. It's also really low, uh, low tax. Oh my exactly. God, you guys, it's... every episode you try to get people to move to Delaware. <laughs> oh, you don't have to move there. <laughs> Is Delaware you just have to always in our... there? Yeah, Delaware is. Yeah, you just have to go in front of a a blue screen on Wayne's World, and then you're in Delaware. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's what they were doing in that bit. They were telling people yeah. how to incorporate in Delaware so that they could get away with tax fraud. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the company, yes, as as uh, as Lee said, was incorporated in Delaware, and people weren't able to figure out any of this stuff as it was going on until this weird dude. <laughs> Named Quimby started uh, started public started publishing uh, these these pamphlets and handing them out uh, to municipal yeah, Ed- leaders. Edwin Quimby, right? Edwin Edwin J Quimby, and the only photo of this guy makes him look like an insane carnival barker. Uh, <laughs> he's true. got a t- he's got a top hat on, and the photo is taken from an angle so that he looks huge. Uh, Anyway, his name is Edwin Quimby, and he is started he making it look this... like he's holding, he's making the uh, Washington Monument his dick. <laughs> no, he's making it look like he's holding up the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Oh, he's he's planking basically. Yeah. He um he started publishing this pamphlet and sending it to municipal leaders and government officials all over the country, as well as pub- uh, publishing it just uh, for uh, distribution to the local populace. And this was this kind of crazy uh, pamphlet that spelled out a lot of what we're talking about. And uh, if you allow me to put my glasses on, I will read a quote 
from Brian, AZ. people will just read the pamphlet then instead of listening to our show. What are you well, trying to you do? No, the... have to, you always have to consider the source because Edwin Quimby obviously wanted to debunk the car companies because he was in favor of monorails. <laughs> wait, wait, was he really? <laughs> because he's Mayor Quimby from Springfield. Ah, yes. Different, different directions that we're getting our references from. I am going to give you uh, a point for that one, Aurora. That was good. Well, yeah. uh, but also what she's saying is a fact. And one of the weird things that I learned is that a person who is a fan of rail travel was called a juice fan. <laughs> well, you know, the he first... Was, uh, Edwin Quimby, juice fan. But no, what he said, this is an urgent warning to each and every one of you that there is a careful, deliberate, planned campaign to swindle you out of your most important and valuable pub- public utilities, your electric railway system. And the pamphlet basically described all of this uh, this process by which uh, uh, NCL was buying up uh, the streetcar companies and making them run less efficiently and forcing people to either uh, buy cars or ride in buses, which the NCL started to provide to the, to the cities where it had moved into. Like North and- Neighborbrook, Ogdenville, and Brockway. <laughs> Brogdenville, I think it is. Um, but, uh, but yes, Lee, sorry, you were about to say something. I just looked it up, oh, fucker. Uh, it's Ogdenville and Brockway, so. Fuck. I'm sorry. You. Uh, fuck <laughs> you. Uh, Lee, so, you were saying something. Yeah, Aurora brought up, uh, monorails, and, uh, while I was at D-Land for my birthday, I actually, uh, D-Land is Dickland, I saw on Twitter, right? I was looking for, it's <laughs> Dickland, yeah, the dickiest place on earth. I think the dickiest place on earth is Dickie's world headquarters. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for the I'm actually wearing Dickie's uh shorts right now as we speak. Bravo, Lee. Bravo. You dressed up um, for the show. <laughs> yeah. Guys, I'm wearing, I actually I'm have not a wearing dick my right boxers. Now. What was that, Gene? I actually have a dick right now. Oh, lucky. <laughs> why 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 is your roommate sitting in with you while you record? <laughs> Nice. Sorry, Lee. Oh, okay. You were talking so, about the dickiest place on earth. Yeah. So I was like looking around for Nazis, and uh, we got kind of tired. So Shrey and I decided to ride the monorail for a while. And the monorail is the first daily operating uh, monorail in the United States, and I think the Western Hemisphere actually. And there was like a little plaque, and um, I read the plaque, and like there was this guy Axel Wenner who built the monorail with Walt Disney, and I was like. That guy sounds like a Nazi. I think I'm onto something. So I do a quick, uh, quick, uh, um, you know, hey Siri, was this guy a Nazi? And uh, yeah, the, it came up, and uh, he wasn't a Nazi, but he was friends with Goering, the head of the uh, Luftwaffe, and um, he. Oh, so he was a Nazi. No, well, he was he was friends with Nazis at least. All right. Um, but. If, if was, Gehring was known for anything, he was non-discriminatory when he was making friends. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, probably, yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, and he was also he was also friends with the Duke of Windsor, who was sort of a known sort of um, softy on the Nazis. Uh, and um, he actually tried to 
um, parlay for peace between England and the uh, and Germany before the war. Um, and he was living down in the Bahamas. And um, basically, the American government suspected him of being a Nazi spy. So he was sort of blacklisted by um, most American companies uh, for being a Nazi sympathizer. Except, uh, except for Walt Disney, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, except, except for Welcome to Nazis. Well, yeah, I mean, as we probably discussed on earlier episodes, uh, Werner von Braun designed the, helped design the TWA Moonliner that was the first Tomorrowland attraction at Disneyland. Uh, he was also the guy that um, designed the V2 rocket that killed about 21,000 people between all the people that it bombed and all of the slaves that died in the concentration camps making it. Um, and the V2 rocket and the TWA Moonliner pretty much look exactly the same. It's and pretty Hitler interesting. Hitler lives in like, the Magic Castle. <laughs> yeah, he's frozen there, cuddling with Walt Disney. I was always told that you could see leftover, uh, like, spy surveillance equipment in Club 33, but when I went there, there wasn't any. I was bummed out. Wait, you went to Club 33? How did you get in? I had a friend whose mom worked for Disney, and he had a crush on me, like, ten years ago, when I was wow. in college. Yeah. Wow. What was it like in there? Not as cool as you would think, but very fancy. It was exciting yeah. then because they hadn't... It was right before they opened um, California Adventures. And so mm -hmm. you couldn't drink anywhere in Disneyland except Club 33. Yeah, that so was the only place. You'd, you'd go I challenge that presumption. The, well, it's yeah. the only place I've... you were authorized to drink. So. I definitely know for sure that you can eat pot brownies um, in the line for uh, Space Mountain. Oh, yeah. I know that you can smoke joints in the Haunted Mansion. You can do anything you don't get caught doing. Yeah. Although, I do have a friend who got caught um, having gay sex in Tom Sawyer's Island. Oh, see, you can only, <laughs> have, like... you can only have heterosex at Tom Sawyer's Island. <laughs> He was like, hey guys, did you know there's cameras in Injun Joe's cave? Turns out, yes! I would, you know, I'm a straight man, but I would watch that. I would I would watch some Disney surveillance film of guys fucking on Tom Sawyer's Island, because that's the funniest <laughs> shit I've ever heard. Yeah. In, yeah. Oh, man. Injun in Joe's cave is a great new euphemism for the male anus. <laughs> the anal cavity. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, that's even better than that Nazi stuff. Yeah. <laughs> no, Lee, we've discussed it. Nothing is better than Nazi stuff. Right, even gay sex. Gay sex on Tom Sawyer's Island comes a pretty close second. <laughs> yep. Um, so why don't we take a break here, because I'm... Brian has to water. masturbate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, essentially true. Um, yes, but I need some water, so let's, uh, let's take a, take a break here. Lee? We'll be right back on Inside Jobs with special guest, Aurora. What's your last name? Uh, <laughs> Nibley. Aurora Nibley. The plan is to deliberately destroy public utilities, which you will find impractical to replace after you discover your mistake. Who are the corporations behind this? What is more important... Why are they permitted to destroy valuable electric railways? So, as a little interlude, uh, Aurora and Jean, you guys both live in Los Angeles. Sort of. Yeah, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we can call what you're doing really living. Yeah, <laughs> I'm barely existing anymore. But uh, but what can you tell us about the public transportation uh, available in LA in the current day? Uh, I guess the words Los Angeles and public transportation was always uh, an ironic combination. LA didn't like have... Brian and Friends. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm so lonely. <laughs> uh, like, you would hear that buses existed, but no one, you never knew anyone that actually ever rode a bus. Um, Do you, have you ever, have you ever, like, you are a, li- a lifelong LA or uh, Los Angelino, I believe it's called. Uh, have you ever ridden a bus in Los I Angeles? I have, no, I've never ridden a bus in Los Angeles. I actually and, uh, have exclusively taken public transit for. The last seven years. You're kind of screwing the narrative of the show. I'm sorry. Sadly (laughs) true. (laughs) No, well, well, then that's interesting. What kind of public transportation is available Um, to you you and what what do you use? It's been getting better. It's been getting better uh, the last few years. I started taking public transit very much against my will uh, because I used to have a car and it died you got your second out second DUI. Yeah. Uh it died out from under me when I was unemployed and broke and homeless and I was in the process of getting kicked out of my apartment at the same time and I certainly didn't have enough money to buy another car so horseless horse. Bought a bus pass and never looked So back. instead you just rode the rails yeah. sleeping in the subway. <laughs> Pretty uh, much. Yeah, no. You just called um called Mayor Viragosa for rides. Um and the, but no, Aurora's has... right, though. The uh, the subway, there's a subway now, and it's actually pretty excellent. I yeah, the... you can get sandwiches for five dollars. <laughs> foot long, foot long. Whoa! Um, but uh, but but LA is a huge city. Just uh, in, and in that's terms the of main area. challenge is there's so much area to cover, and if you're in like downtown or if you're in hollywood if you're in the areas where like tourists would like to go it's not too hard to get around but um the thing is is los angeles even back during the times of the streetcar trials um was already sort of developing a culture that didn't really lend itself to public transit um the types of jobs here that people have you're not going back and forth to the exact same place every day like people do in most cities because people who work in... You, you get extra work where you can get it. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, even if you are if you have a better job than just extra work, if you're working in the film industry, even if it's an office job, you know, you're going to different places every day. There's meetings in different parts of town. Um, and... The city is so much more sprawled out than a place like New York or Chicago um, that to cover that type of ground and accommodate everyone would be pretty close to impossible. That's why they have the fast travel option in the uh, Rockstar game L.A. Noir. Isn't that right, Gene? So you don't have to keep driving between the different missions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way I can get Gene into this conversation ever. What, what, uh, aside from talking about the city he has lived his entire life. <laughs> well, yeah, but if you talk about video games, he'll actually get into it. Another thing that's interesting to me about this is, since we're talking about L.A. and since we're kind of talking about Hollywood, 
is if you even look at the films of that time, they were already starting to glorify cars, and I don't know if it was in conjunction, you know, with the people that were trying to, you know, shut down the streetcar companies. I think it was just so much more glamorous to drive around in a car. When you watch movies from the 1920s and 30s, you very rarely see anybody taking a streetcar. They're always driving around in cars. And in the middle of the country, in particular, people who lived in farm country out, you know, in John Steinbeck land, they couldn't even... Wait, 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 wait. So people who lived in farmland in the 1920s, so other citizens of Los Angeles. (laughs) No, but, but, but listen, because what I'm thinking about is in the movies, everybody's driving cars. Um, in the middle of the country, setting Los Angeles aside for a second, um, streetcars would have been even less practical than in a place like Los Angeles, because when people still maintained their own farms, I mean, now we all have industrial farmland, and it's very unusual to find someone who actually runs a farm that's theirs, um, but those people wouldn't have had any access to a streetcar line. It wouldn't have made any sense to build one that went out to them. So they would all aspire to having cars. Um, so the the glorification of the car um, came very quickly, and not just in Los Angeles, but all across the United States. Yeah, that's no, that's totally true. If you watch a lot of like um, old Buster Keaton movies, uh, the only reason a streetcar is used is, uh, like as a joke. Like a, like a streetcar comes through and he can jump on to get away from whoever's chasing him. Uh, but a car is used as like a symbol of wealth and, uh, the haves. But, uh, but actually in terms of, uh, in terms of popularizing the car as a, as a, not just a practical thing, if you go back to our, our, um, Guatemala episode, Gene, you talked a little bit about Edward Bernays, the Bernays. and the popular, yeah, popularization of the car as uh, less as a practical um, uh, a, pra- a practical way to get around, but more as like a, an extension uh, of the a, dick. A, yes, exactly. Uh, which uh, and that which has completely can, changed. An extendo dick. Yeah, now people only want cars for their efficiency, which is why they use pure gasoline. <laughs> only the purest gasoline. <laughs> The purest gasoline wrung out of the bodies of dead Iraqis. <laughs> the purest Iraqi blood. Or dead dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's sad that they built Jurassic Park only to send those things into a grinder to get the oil out of them. <laughs> Spare no expense. <laughs> but no, but no, Gene, maybe you can, you can speak a little bit to that, uh, that idea of selling a car as, uh, as the idea of American freedom. I could. <laughs> Just cut in some shit from the other episode, Brian. For Christ's sake! <laughs> oh, Brian, don't haven't we learned uh, our lessons about cutting to me explaining things? Nope. Nope. Okay. Well, <laughs> no. Edward Bernays uh, kind of repurposed advertising. Uh, I don't know what was it—the 1930s, 1940s, 1950s, whenever the fuck it was. But uh, yeah, cars were um, sold primarily by their practicality and their long-lastingness. Uh, and that was kind of like, that was the problem, is that 
that was not getting people to buy cars or uh, I guess and then the people who did buy cars weren't buying a new car every year um, so the way they because I, that's crazy yeah so his idea was to not make uh, not to appeal to people's sense of needs but to their irrational sense of wants so then we started seeing car commercials where instead of showing you know just a man looking at a car and whistling at it and you know, noting how he, he's instead of that, he's fucking it. Yeah, <laughs> inside a um, inside Engine Joe's cave. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but then uh, it started to turn into um, women would kind of be uh, like you would still have a man in the commercial, but it would be a woman who was espousing the virtues of the automobile, and it would always always rich with salacious entendres. Literally things like, oh my gosh, this car is so long. How can you drive such a big <laughs> car? Uh, and uh, that basically spurred the uh, the. Uh... <laughs> See what happens, Brian. That basically spurred... no, no, that that was that was perfect. That's yeah. exactly what I wanted to to find out about because it's actually kind of um, against this idea of uh, of some sort of conspiracy by the big car companies. Um, if that was really the the definitive way in which the car companies were able to sell cars to more Americans and to convince them that it was something that they really needed by appealing to their their base instincts for for sex and power and and esteem, so if only then, the streetcar uh, had advertised itself as, "Hey, ride the streetcar and you might get laid." Ride the streetcar and you might accidentally touch a bosom. <laughs> well, there were so up, many. You might end up on Tom Sawyer's Island. Too. Because right, exactly. It's it's getting to this point of 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 the the idea that the that the car companies, these huge businesses, set out to do this as their strategy for selling cars is a little bit ridiculous if you consider all of the other factors going into what makes someone want to purchase a car. So well, there are so many different ingredients, and and I mean, what Gene is talking about is certainly one of them. But you also have to consider the timing. I mean, you already talked about how running a streetcar company um, is an extremely expensive proposition. Like, I happen to... Own a streetcar company. I do not own a streetcar <laughs> company. But, you know who does uh, really advocate for public transit here in Los Angeles is George Takei. George Takei. Yes, who's amazing. I was saying it as a joke. You were saying it for real. Yeah, no, for fucking real. Wow, this George really happened. George Takei. Is yeah, a yeah, he had to pull. Bus riding he, he gonna, advocate. It, yes, he was going to be the uh, the Star Trek guest in the the monorail episode of The Simpsons, but he decided he could not be in a, a show that denigrated public transportation, so he pulled out, yeah. and that's why they got Leonard Nimoy instead. Yeah. No, true which story. turned out to be way funnier. Yeah, um, no, the world needs laughter. But thanks to, I believe I learned this from an interview with George Takei. Um, the Amount of money that the public transportation system in Los Angeles earns from fares, like the amount of money that people actually pay to ride, covers about a quarter of the cost of actually running the public transit system. It's extremely yeah, and, and, The rest and, and, is covered and, by George Takai. So yeah. these, these businesses... Sales of his books. Probably would have had a hard time holding up on their own in any case. Also, and uh, wait, wait, can I just say yeah. something to, to specify for people? Uh, we're saying public transportation, which is certainly what it is. But all of these streetcar companies were private companies. Yes. They weren't being subsidized well, by the and, government. And that's so, actually sorry. an important distinction, because 
the reason that the public transportation that does exist in Los Angeles can exist at all is because it is being subsidized by the government. If it were being run by a private company, it wouldn't exist. Like, there's no private company that could maintain anything this size. Yeah, if if for if people follow anything about the New York New York public transportation, uh, it is in the hole for like billions and billions of dollars, and it's because of really poor management, but also just the fact that if they were to charge enough money to all the people that ride the MTA uh, to uh, to cover all of their uh, operating expenses, nobody would ride it because it would just be insane, insanely yeah. expensive yeah, to ride it. Yeah, it would be too pricey. And and then uh, another thing to consider is from the angle of the people who were buying the cars, this is the beginning of the Depression. So if a car was a thing that separated the haves from the have-nots, but then Henry Ford made it so that you could afford a car, then you were going to buy a fucking intended. car. Because Sorry. you wanted to... Wait, what? wait, wait, what's the pun? You afford. could afford a car to have to uh... spell it out for you. Yes, you do. Yeah. I'm blind. I didn't get it either. Uh, You're blind so you can't hear jokes. <laughs> uh, everything is being submitted to me by teletype. Um, no, no, th- th- that is a very good point. Uh, and and another fact is um, that if if anybody wants to recall uh, what followed the Depression, no, no one wants to do that. Well, I do all the time, every waking second of my life. Uh, no, but World War II followed the, the Depression, and um, here's an interesting thing. And about what happened the car during companies. World War II, Brian? Well, from 1933 up until 1941, a lot of the car companies had, uh, you know, these are multi multinational corporations, and they had um, subsidiary companies or uh, other companies that they owned or operated in all parts of the world, including Nazi Germany. And so uh, General Motors uh, and Ford both did a lot of business in Germany, helping them to uh, pump up their ability to create armaments. And, uh, you know, they were they were making tank uh, motors, all sorts of things. General Motors was doing it through its uh, subsidiary named Opel. And so they were getting all of this money all throughout the Depression, which essentially was coming from American bankers who were lending it back to Nazi Germany in order to purchase more armaments for the war. And then on top of that, they were also making cars and and other things in America up through 1941, at which point FDR, realizing that uh, we're going to war, started to really uh, put money into General Motors, Ford, Oldsmobile, etc., into getting new tanks made, half half track trucks, um, engines for airplanes. So a company like General Motors came out of World War II with huge amounts of cash on hand. Uh, and even yeah. though there was this, so they this, basically uh, not- started the war. Yeah, they. I mean, uh, I, th- uh, that's that is true that uh, multinational companies started World War Two, uh, but um, but it didn't really happen. Uh, you know, it didn't really happen out of nowhere. Wait, are you saying uh, a war was begun for financial reasons and not political reasons? Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. Wow, this sounds like another topic, it- Brian. It is true in this case and all cases. You just blew um, my mind. I know. Uh, and, and General, General what about Motors the Cola also. Wars? Inv- <laughs> <laughs> nope. That was actually a religious war. Yeah. <laughs> what about the Star Wars? I thought that was about freedom. Oh, wait, uh, no. It was about international trade or uh, interstellar trade routes. Never mind. <laughs> yes. Wasn't there a whole thing about, like, 
tax laws in yeah, part, exactly. part one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, commercial, commercial interest rates. Let's let's make that be our uh, summer blockbuster plot. So my um, crotchety old neighbor used to like say racist things to me because uh, I drove a Honda in high school. Um, like he mm. would just say, I won't really say what he said, but he would be like, you know, my my brother died in Japan, and like, just be like, oh, what can I say? They might have the, the Allied powers might have lost World War II, but they certainly won the car wars. Yeah, that was the important. No, the that the Allied powers won the war. Didn't I say that? Yeah, said no, they, you said it, said, you said the opposite way. Oh, okay. Oh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Patriotic. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm living in the book uh, Man in the High Castle by uh, <laughs> Philip K. <Dick. laughs> yes, exactly. Nice recovery, uh, Lee. Uh, but so essentially, <laughs> General Motors had uh, General Motors had all this money after the war in order to invest in these streetcar companies, operating them as sort of lost leaders. And if you want to go the conspiracy route, they were buying these because they had so much money they were able to afford to crank down services, uh, make whatever they could off of selling scraps, uh, scrap metal from the streetcars or selling the real estate that the streetcars operated on. Which while people also, were eating. They were eating the scrap from these streetcars to stay alive during the Depression. Well, this is, I mean, this is after World War II. Everybody had so much money. Because oh, once after we, World War II. Okay, never mind. Yeah, once we defeated Germany, we just got all that Nazi gold. Every, every man, woman, and child got a $50,000 gold bar. Um <laughs> No, uh, so they so they were able to so they were able to run these streetcar companies while also uh, uh, promoting the purchasing of buses in uh, cities by Lee. Are you fucking playing with your yeah, gun again? Yeah, he's playing with a lighter. No, I'm playing with a lighter this time. Okay, sorry. Uh, <laughs> he's so... lighting his balls on fire again. <laughs> So they were able to convince these municipalities to invest heavily in buses. And at this point, the perception of buses was that, you know, essentially they were slow, they were noisy, they polluted, and they also caused traffic jams. So as you saw more and more people purchasing cars unable to afford to purchase cars, when they were driving in traffic and they see this huge bus coming along, you know, they would get annoyed and this... Uh, Shake their fist this, at it. Yeah, they would shake their fist at it and write a letter to the governor. Uh, but, uh, but this caused people to, uh, recognize having their own vehicle as, uh, a method by which they could bypass the trouble of riding a bus, sitting next to someone, uh, you know, taking a long time to get from wherever you're going sitting to wherever next you're going. To someone, sitting, having to sit next to a guy on the bus is basically the biggest advertisement for buying a car there is. I agree. Or it's the biggest advertisement for riding the bus, depending on your perspective. Oh, oh yeah. God. If you have no you, friends you don't like understand, Brian. You guys, I take the bus and I will schedule my day around when a bus will run where I won't have to sit next to another person. So what? You only take a bus at like three in the morning? Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even kidding. Like. I will let buses pass by. If I'm on my way home from work, I'm like, mm, I'm not in a hurry. This one's too full. Yeah, I take a long way home just so that I can avoid the most people. It's it's Riding on public transportation is really convenient in that I don't have to purchase a car, which I would never be able to afford or want, uh, especially operating in this city. But yeah, it, it is annoying. Brian is also really annoying. I drive my cortege. I drive my Pardon? car to the BART station, so I, I can drive it. <laughs> To have experienced frotage. What is frotage? Oh, Brian, like you don't know. <laughs> no, I don't. What is uh, it? Aurora, would you like to explain what frotage is? 
Um, I, I think it. I think it would make more sense for you to explain it. This is like uh, when when dad has to explain the facts of life to the little boy. Frotage is the, basically the rubbing, process of frotage yeah. is rubbing up against people in public. Yeah, I'm looking at it. Gross. Yeah, it's Brian, gross. D- Brian did a Google this, image search. The second definition is a work of art produced in this way. <laughs> like that guy. <laughs> According to Urban Dictionary, it's the act of rubbing one's genitals on inanimate objects. No, wait, that's wrong. I guess it could be. No, that's uh, he's right. It's a technique or process of taking or rubbing from an un- uh, rubbing from an uneven surface to form the basis of a work of art. So I guess like if you go to uh, a cemetery and you do a rubbing of uh, of a gravestone, so people are doing uh. that on the bus, and it's just yeah, annoying. Wait, like they fuck a gra- they like fuck a dead body and then they ride a bus? No, they just rub their hand against a bosom. Oh, okay. And then not they always do it. their hand. I uh, yes. That's Wait, the, it's, like, when you said frotage, I was like, is that just an episode of NBC's Hannibal? Because that's what it sounds like. Oh, it does kind of. I mean, it probably is. You're, that's yeah. you're that's fromage. Of, you're thinking yeah. of the Battle of the Trebia. <laughs> no, um, look, not Hannibal the, the Hannibal the, the Hannibal Lecter, the eater. The I know, eats that people. feeding into the narrative that I'm a nerd with no friends. <laughs> well, my only friend is Hannibal Brian, that, Lecter. That, that I know where you can meet some well, friends. Is well There's satiated. a whole busload of people right over there who, uh, who are also lonely. I'm frotaging the hell out of them as we speak. Guys, let's get some boners and take the bus to Tom Sawyer's Island. <laughs> <laughs> you can't though. Like here's a here's an example of transportation in LA. It's like I was when I was down in D Land. I I uh, texted Gene. I was like, Gene, let's meet IRL. Come meet me at Disneyland. And like Gene literally had no way of getting to me, and I had no way of getting to him because I was too drunk uh, to drive. Well, you were in fucking Anaheim, dude. That is like, that is not Los Angeles. No way. I thought Los Angeles was like you, you, every time you looked out the window, you saw the Eiffel Tower because everything is really close by. <laughs> yeah, That's it's, it's just like, like Manhattan. It's kind of like that if everybody just had a picture of the Eiffel Tower taped to their window. <laughs> yeah. Well, in those mo- it's because every French hotel has a Eiffel Tower poster. Well, they don't oh, want to okay. disappoint. They advertise an Eiffel Tower view. And that's yeah. how they achieve it. Yeah, it's just the it's just the hotel owner's dick painted. Yeah, and the, the irony is he that gives, driving... he gives you a glimpse. Oh, so Sorry, the irony is that what the dr- driving in L.A. is like the worst thing on the planet. I mean, it's just like it's 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 uh, has one of the worst congestions of traffic like in the. Why is that world. ironic? I think that um, they said, oh, well, you know, we, we're going to have uh, everybody uh, drive cars. Everybody's going to have the freedom of, to drive. And, and, and yeah, instead of take these trolley cars where you're stuck and it's slow and it takes forever. And so, like, now instead of, like, you know, riding a bus, like, people are just stuck behind a bus. On yeah, the well, it's because the guy at the front of the freeway is always driving really slow. Buses don't typically go on the freeway. You have to understand because they make plentiful stops uh excuse me aurora did you not see speed (laughs) (laughs) i said we were talking about it earlier today yeah not only do buses not only do buses go on the freeway but they can jump gaps in the freeway 
Yeah, you know, there there are buses that'll hop on the freeway if they've like like you said to, to jump gaps. But I just whenever anyone talks <laughs> yeah. about getting stuck hey, folks, behind we're gonna take a, a bus detour, on so we the jump freeway, this gap. I'm like, well, the the bus is not the reason you're stuck on the freeway. Yeah, it's all those rubbernecking rubberneckers checking out the new Joaquin Phoenix movie, shooting on the side of the road. Exactly. By the way, when there when there is an accident, I like. I know we kind of decry all those rubberneckers, but when it's finally your turn to pass by the accident, you totally look because it's like yeah, exactly. waiting the whole. You're like, if I waited this long, I get to see the accident. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. I uh, I I used to drive on the on the one a lot uh, in California because I just, would just have to look to at accidents. Up, no, I would have to. It's it's a whole stupid uh, explanation. But one time I was driving by and there was an accident, and a car had gone off a cliff, and as I passed awesome. the accident. No, the helicopter emerged from the cliff carrying a body in a in in Whoa! one of those like gurn, gurneys. It was crazy. Jeez. I didn't care for it at all. Oh. Yeah, cuz that I was like dr- uh, terrifying. Yeah, I was driving a van full of children too. <laughs> they probably loved it for the reasons you would probably think. Yeah. Oh jeez. I was taking you were them to taking the airport them to so they could yeah. fly back to Japan. Um <laughs> Uh, but no, so, uh, why don't, why don't you guys tell, tell me a little bit about the freeway situation in, in LA? Because after the streetcars were removed and, uh, and the city primarily switched to buses for public transportation, they started building these huge freeways through the cities or through the city. Sorry. I mean, the freeway system is fine for the 19, for a 1940s, 1950s population, but the problem is, is that the L.A. population has, like, I, I don't know what, since the 1940s has probably tripled, and oh, they haven't really. What do you guys do? You know, off the top of your head, how big it is? I would say. I, I, um, I mean. I think the greater Los Angeles area is like 12 million people. Wow. I'm pulling it up right now, so you guys just kind of like, yeah, we're uh, fill time. We're all looking at it. No, you. I should be pulling it up because you're the one talking. I mean, that, I mean it, it does help to specify because um, a lot of the time they, they manage to use Weasley statistics um, by claiming that Los Angeles is only Los Angeles proper, which is basically like downtown and Miracle Mile. But once you start including, you know, the Valley, you start including Santa Monica, you start, I mean, you can go all the way down to Long Beach if you want to. Right, because... And all the surrounding suburbs, people are still driving. Yeah. They're all commuting to and from Los Angeles. I had a guy uh, stop speaking to me once because he lived in Santa Clarita, and I told him he didn't live in L.A. Wow. No, I mean, yeah, it's like I have friends that live over the hill. I, I never see them anymore. It's just like once I have a, my best friend like who moved to Santa Monica. Like We hung out like every day throughout our you know 20s. He moved to Santa Monica. I now see him once a year. Like, at Would best. you say that's because you don't have a car, Gene? Well, like, if you had a car, would you be No, him? yeah, even when I did have a car, still, it was like, oh, you should come over here. And I was like, no, you should come back over here. And it just became <laughs> this, like, game of chicken. There was no place yeah, to meet really in the middle. Vast space to cover. Yeah, it's just the, the problem is, is that, yeah, like, the freeway system, I would, I mean, obviously I didn't live during it, so I can't give you a first-hand account, but from what I've read, it was a pretty efficient uh, for, you know, 1940, 1950 levels, but since then, the population keeps growing, but no more freeways get built, and every, I would say, like, I remember every decade, probably since I was a kid, 
there was always like a new they would try to like build a new one and wherever whatever neighborhood it was going to go through would get it blocked um homeowners associations are just so powerful in los angeles it just prevents any for anything from getting done because well, nobody wants to. That's why the subway fl- doesn't go out to the ocean because Beverly Hills won't let them uh, build a train station through there. Yeah. What's crazy is if, Man, if I, you look at uh, if you look at old pictures of the streetcar, there is literally just like track on the beach with a streetcar going by the water. Yeah. Also, uh, oh, I think so of I the found, Beverly. I'm sorry. I found I found the population details. Greater, or sorry, Los Angeles County in 1940 was 2.7 million people, and today it is 12.8. So it is sextupled. Wow. Even. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was pretty right on. Good for me. Yeah, yeah. good one. Yeah, good job. Nice one, that's, that's a, yeah, you should probably host the show solo from now on. Oh, yeah. no. Yep. All right. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> All right. Um, no, so by the well, by the way, the Beverly Hills HOA, that to me, like I imagine them meeting like in a big hollowed out volcano, like in a James Bond movie. And one of the people is like, you know, I think we should actually uh, maybe let the subway come through. They just murder that person. Yeah. Well, they don't <laughs> want poor people right. coming to Beverly Hills. So. Okay. Well, yeah. Unless yes, they're they cops. do because they need people to clean their houses. They just don't want to see them coming through the town. Wow, this is just like that movie Babel. <laughs> it's just like that movie Elysium. Oh, it's just yes, like that movie Spanglish. <laughs> uh, but so essentially, the people started to become aware that these companies were sort of in cahoots. And in 1947... Uh, several of the companies were were uh, sued by uh, for antitrust uh, under antitrust legislation, specifically the Sherman Antitrust Act, and uh, they were accused of aspiring uh, conspiring to control all of the transit companies and create a monopoly in uh, in many cities across the country. And you know it went through you know several different phases of the trial, but eventually they were all found guilty. Uh, this is including like uh, General Motors and the uh, NCL and the Fitzgeralds, uh, but then they were they were uh, charged uh, to pay the court five thousand dollars. Each company involved only had to pay five thousand dollars for their uh, participation. But that in was this, like five uh, billion dollars back then. Yeah. No, no, it was actually less because money uh, money was worth so li- so much after World War II. Uh, so it was actually like a couple bucks. And then one wow. guy got charged like uh, one dollar at some point. And, yeah, the treasure, the treasure, treasurer of GM, this guy Grossman was was fined one dollar for so his adjusted for inflation. But that was like a billion adjusted dollars f- back then, right? Yeah, exactly. adjusted for inflation. Let me figure that out. It says uh, carry the two um, forty five. That was three chickens back in the day, so that was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually if you if you multiply it by ten. Uh, you come up okay, with it. Yeah, that was a base, basically ten dollars. Uh, and uh, that guy that we mentioned earlier, Bradford Snell, he uh, he characterized this as um, if we if the country were to go back and fix all of the public transportation that was pulled out of the cities across the country uh, today, and by today I mean when he said this in 1996, it would cost three hundred billion dollars. Uh, but that's only which was like one dollar at the time. Yeah. <laughs> 
Adjusted for right. 1996 well, inflation. <laughs> yeah, well, this is pre-dot-com, so. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, so essentially his point and a point of a lot of the conspiracists is that it was proven in court that a conspiracy occurred, except because these people were so influential and there's that old saying, what's good for GM is good for the country. Uh, they were not charged uh, enough money and they weren't found guilty in a way that would, uh, you know, dissolve the monopoly. And so all this damage had been done and nothing was done to fix it. Although subsequently there has been a lot of federal legislation to promote public transportation and as uh, aurora and gene were saying the public transportation system has improved in la and has improved in a lot of cities all across the country including uh, san francisco which now or the bay area which now has the bart and uh, new york which has a uh, uh, the subway system and its buses and whatnot and then you know philadelphia pittsburgh all these chicago cities around the country st louis has uh, an l philadelphia has an l chicago has an l yeah that's what? three l's come on guys the fugitive Nobody. Oh, oh yeah, well, they're sitting around like trying to. They hear an L in the background, and uh, of the phone call that was like back in the day when movies had a lot of like cops figuring out shit from phone calls. Now you can just like trace someone from their, you know, GPS. But back in now the you day, can just it had Google to be like that. Who has an L? Yeah, just Google yeah. where is bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> where is Doctor Richard Kimball? Yeah, you can just follow him on Twitter. He four squared his last location. Just ask Siri. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Siri, where is Dr. Richard Kimball? He is in the hospital. You yeah, are not Doctor, in. Yeah, Dr. Richard Kimball just checked in at a truck stop bathroom where he's shaving his beard and dyeing his hair. 47 others. <laughs> 47 others. Uh, but yeah, so, so essentially it seems that there is a bit of conspiracy uh, in that they were convicted of a conspiracy to do this. But there were so many other factors that went into the sinking of the streetcars. Uh, essentially, it was a hugely expensive uh, venture. Uh, and we didn't even really talk about the sociological effect of, you know, growing prosperity in the United States as manufacturing and jobs became more plentiful and people were suddenly able to afford to not only buy cars but move into suburbs. And, of course, the... Uh, yeah, we didn't even get into how the, the uh, racism played in Yeah, the, expand, the, expand, the expanding uh, civil rights movement caused so many of uh, the... Yeah, uh, car, uh, uh, white the, flight. The silent uh, majority caused a white flight. Yeah. So so all these people moving into suburbs all over the country into, uh, you know, other states, even when you consider um, like the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut situation uh, help, helped influence people to purchase cars. And, you know, they were suddenly able to afford them and afford houses out out you know, outside of city limits where they felt that they could get a better, you know, white people felt that they could get a better uh, a better lot for their kids. And that really, that really contributed to, you know, streetcars being used less and less. So some people even say that GM did everything that they could to, to save the streetcar systems because while they were cutting rails and while they were firing people, although, although these are unpleasant things, these are standard business practices in order to save, you know, money and keep your, keep your business afloat. It just didn't work out because they weren't able to cut enough and bring in enough revenue. I'm Bri I'm Brian. I said all that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so I mean, in terms of uh, if it was a conspiracy or not, let's go around. Gene, yep, conspiracy or not, totally yep. a conspiracy. Yeah, uh, Lee, do you think it was a conspiracy or not? 
Uh, I mean, look, were the car companies, you know, was GM setting up yes or no corporations to buy out these uh, these rail car companies? Absolutely. Did they want them to go out of business? For sure. Did they want people to buy a bunch of cars? Yeah. Is the stuff in the suit probably sh- probably true? Of course. Uh, however, I don't think it's as huge of a conspiracy uh, as that Snell guy wants it to uh, to seem. I'm going to have to just say this is just American business as usual, not an inside job. Uh, and Aurora. I'm kind of with Lee on this one. I think it was a conspiracy, but I don't think it would have succeeded on its own without any of those other factors. Yeah, I yeah. think this is this is that famous uh, Adam Smith quote. Uh, if you ever see two businessmen talking, they're in a conspiracy. Yeah, uh, this is this is just this is just America's love of capitalism uh, getting out of control in in a certain industry uh, and taking advantage of a lot of the sociological and uh, political boons that came their way. So once again, I'm the think, only one who uh, sees things for how they really are. <laughs> it's because you don't have a car. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to take a little break and then we'll be right back to wrap up the and show. And then Brian, now, Aurora... Lee, and Aurora will be right back to defend capitalism. <laughs> Soon, where Toontown once stood will be a string of gas stations, inexpensive motels, restaurants that serve rapidly prepared food, tire salons, automobile dealerships. And wonderful, wonderful billboards reaching as far as the eye can see. My God, it'll be beautiful. Come on. Nobody's going to drive this lousy freeway when they can take the red car for a nickel. Oh, they'll drive. They'll have to. You see, I bought the red car so I could dismantle it. Uh, everybody, I would like to thank you for listening to the show. It was this was our twentieth episode, and I think that officially makes us the longest running podcast in the history of the medium. So, guys, I just want to give give us a hand. Yeah, I think Never Not Funny has like four something like that. Uh, uh, yeah, something like This American Life is up to twelve, which yeah, you know, it's really That's it's really hard to put out a lot. So, impressive. how many Nerdist episodes has does... six between all of its different shows? think how many how many episodes does your show have Aurora? uh one and a half mm. yeah. okay. well, both on oprah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> a lot both of oprah. on the show oprah a one and a half part episode on oprah no but seriously uh this is a this fun this show is really a lot of fun to do and uh it's always great to hear from people who enjoy uh listening to the show we had Even uh, people who really don't enjoy listening to the show which is basically no one and yeah. whoever gave us a poor rating on iTunes. But like uh, Garth from Twitter, at GK Larson, he uh, told us he really enjoyed our last Nazi episode. And it's always nice to hear when people enjoy uh, episodes, especially when they're about Nazis. It's always nice to know when people enjoy Nazis. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but also like people who uh, gave us reviews like um, SCV John and the Keaton Bat and that yeah. Keaton Bat guy, he it, it's really funny because he was like, now this is how you do a conspiracy podcast. And all of his other iTunes ratings are just like poor ratings for other conspiracy shows. So that <laughs> was really nice. Was he in 69? Uh, Who was the 69th? Uh, that was him. Keaton. Oh, the right. Keaton Bat. Is okay. The Keaton Bat. Um, first of all, Keaton, great Batman, weird Bruce Wayne. 
Second of all, um, if you are if you will be in the San Francisco area during September, um, you, as I said on the last episode, uh, win a uh, ticket to the San Francisco uh, Internet uh, San Francisco Improv Festival. So if you'd like to go to that, contact me at Internet Batman on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, so that's so, how you were connecting it to Batman. I see now. No, that's my uh, name. That's my handle. That's and yeah. Then, that's his Twitter. Yeah, internet bat or internet Robin tried to follow me and I just I just didn't respond to him. Now you're just waiting to meet an internet Vicky Vale <laughs> and an internet Michael Gao. Rest in peace. Oh man, yeah, uh, he's a good Alfred. But uh, but yes, thank you to anyone who's ever rated us on iTunes. It's really wonderful uh, that people enjoy the show. And here's to twenty more guys. Yeah, and yeah, thanks to Aurora. Means. It's always great having a, a girl in the in our treehouse. Um, on our Tom Sawyer's Island. Yeah, we had to revise our uh, constitution to allow you in here. Yeah, you had to take the sign down. I'm sorry. (laughs) We had to put our dicks back in our pants. We had to (laughs) bathe. You didn't have to. Uh, No. I shaved my mustache. But just for just for people uh, people on the outside, now that you we have allowed you into our our archives. You know, maybe we can end this Twitter or this uh, podcast rivalry. I would love that. I think we should be podcast allies. Uh, I just lured her into our trap, guys. It's already working. It's a trap. All right. So how about how about this? Let's agree to end our rivalry over a um, high five with banger. You ready, Aurora? Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Feud ended. Thanks, banger. Nice. I'm really glad that we could end this. But yes, Aurora, uh, thank you so much for being on our show. And why don't you remind people how they can get a hold of you? Well, you can find me every week on the Weekly Dictator podcast. Uh, where or the bus. We <laughs> Or the bus. Protagonists uh, <laughs> 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 oh, na- nationwide are listening with... with in, at a fever yeah, pitch, yeah, we have um, a huge line, so audience. One fifty-six from Hollywood to uh, the Van Nuys Orange Line station is the one that you can find me on most days of the week. Yeah, uh, hear that, G.K. Larson. Otherwise, <laughs> um, just look for me and my podcast at weeklydictator.com. Good. Great plug. Really good plug. My uh, bus is the B-52, which I kind of really enjoy. So if everyone just wants you to enjoy how it bus bombs Nazis for... every day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love massive war crimes. Oh, uh, by the way, uh, yeah, that, that, that stop you made at Dresden was just horrible. <laughs> uh, one more uh, plug. Luckily, um, luckily, I wrote that awesome book about it. Yeah, Slaughterhouse 5. Um, by the way, I just want to plug one more thing. Look at the um, episode guide to Hannibal on the NBC site so you can see how funny my joke about Frotage was. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't really want to plug any of my other stuff. Man, I wish I had something uh, to plug. Yeah, what are you up to, Gene? Watch Big Brother on Sundays and Tuesdays and Thursday nights. It's on three nights a week? Yeah. Jesus. Really? I guess I do have I something guess... to plug. Um, you, If you are in the San Francisco or Sacramento 
uh, Bay Area, you should go to uh, either the San Francisco uh, Improv Festival or the um, Sacramento Improv Festival. I'll be doing the Sacramento Improv Festival Sunday, September 15th, and the San Francisco one on Friday, September 20th. And if you say you listen to Inside Jobs, I will buy you a drink. And if you are that uh, and inv- Keaton and dude, you, you get to it for free. Tom Sawyer's cabin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're, I'll no, he'll invite you, you to Inside Joe's cave. <laughs> oh right, right. So it's Tom, Tom Sawyer's island. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I have nothing to plug. <laughs> well, that was, that was great. Thanks. But uh, but yes, thanks everybody for listening. If you ever want to get uh, a hold of us, you can always email us. Uh, our email address is insidejobscast at gmail dot com, or you can tweet at us. We have we have some great Twitter followers. That guy Jesse, he's always sending me crazy shit from Gawker and whatnot. Oh, yeah, uh, SCV great. John. Yeah. Let's be real though. John Most of Musselman. our Twitter followers are shit. <laughs> Most well, of them are the, Brian starting up other accounts. To I will speak yeah. up for Jesse yeah. though. Jesse follows me too, and he is a quality Twitter follower. I'm glad he's around. Nice. Uh, but yes, you can also follow our hot. Uh, you can also call our hotline, which is four one three two two five nineteen sixty three. Uh, we we've had twenty episodes. I hope we can do twenty more. We're essentially going to close out the rest of the year with twin sets of 9-11 and jfk episodes oh, so yes. yes we at least have that going for us i think we're gonna Although, do a greatest hits episode uh where basically uh, i'm looking forward to recording that <laughs> that's the one where gene gets knocked on the head and uh we have to remind him of all the great times we've had because he has amnesia uh, it's gonna be great, but no. Th- thanks everybody for listening. This is a great. Uh, this is a great time. This was a great Thank episode you, Aurora. We just did. Yeah, we're pretty great guys, Aurora. Yeah, you're welcome, you by know. the way, audience, for this great episode. <laughs> well, thank you guys. Well, yeah, I think uh, I think we're gonna. This is gonna lead to us inviting more guests on. Although we will confirm that they are both uh, not sick and uh, men. Yeah, I think that's uh, probably so, a wise course of action. Yeah, and don't need air conditioning. <laughs> oh, uh, just one more thing for uh, for you. You can cut this out, Brian. But I'm wise quackers, but you are despicable. We will see you next week. Until then, follow the money. Sorry, I'm doing a really terrible job, you guys. I would watch some guys fucking on Tom Sawyer's Island. Guys, let's get some boners and take the bus to Tom Sawyer's Island.